Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Be in John chapter 2. And if you don't, there should be a Bible in front of you. One of them's in Spanish. That probably won't help you much. But the, the other one in front of you should be in English. And uh, I'd love for you to join me because this is uh, a terrifying verse. I mean, this, I've tried to preach on this for like three weeks, and I keep going back and, and, and thinking on it and chewing on it, because uh, I want to preach it correctly, and I want to preach it in the right tone uh, of what Jesus says here. Because what Jesus says here is kind of a shift in a lot of our thinkings, especially if you grew up like I did in the Bible Belt. Uh, basically what this verse is saying, not basically what it is saying, what it is literally saying is that there are people who believe in Jesus, but Jesus doesn't believe in them. And I want you to look at it again with me, because this is crazy. While he was in Jerusalem, during the Passover festival, many believed, they were believers, they believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them. That word entrust is the exact same word in the Greek as the word believe. So it's literally saying they believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. Now this messes with me on a variety of levels <laughs> because... Uh, And John 3.16 in my Bible is literally on the same page as this. So I'm like, John, what are you saying? Because John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes, whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So what is it, John? You know, is it some people believe, but Jesus doesn't believe in them? Or is it whosoever believes has eternal life, has saving faith to be super specific about it? And I think the answer is, not just in this text, but throughout, is that there are different kinds of belief. Not all belief is equal. There's a certain way of believing in Jesus that does not lead Jesus to believe in you. There's a certain way of believing in Jesus that does lead Jesus to believing in you. Now, this is really important because, again, you know, I grew up in a culture where... And I love all the churches I grew up in. I'm thankful for them. And, uh, and I've preached sermons like this where I've asked people to trust in Jesus. I say, believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you're saved. Believe in Jesus, you'll have eternal life. Believe in Jesus. And what I've never preached is a question of, you know, I know you might believe in Jesus, but does Jesus believe in you? Now, I've never asked if your belief was the right kind of belief. And growing up, you know, we would have like some old lady. I don't know. I'm not making anything about against old ladies. It just always was an old lady on an organ playing a song while they sang, I surrender. And uh, the whole time the pastor would say, now come forward if you want to believe in Jesus, if you want to trust in Jesus. And sometimes I would want to go forward just so they would end the service. You know what I mean? But we're going to keep playing until somebody comes forward and puts their trust in Jesus. And never once did I hear the pastor when the person went up there, go, you know, okay, we got to make sure your belief is the right kind of belief because there's a kind of belief that Jesus does not believe in. Now, this would maybe be less terrifying to me if it wasn't just this one verse, but it's all over the New Testament. In fact, there's another really scary scene in the Gospel of Matthew uh, when Jesus is, is talking about the day of judgment. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. 
I mean, you would think if you were on the exorcism team, <laughs> you were pretty good. Right? Like, Jesus, I drove out demons. I did miracles. And Jesus says, yeah, I, I never knew you. Depart from me. Or Jesus' little brother, James, he writes this in his epistle, James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You have the right theology. That's awesome. Even the demons believe and they shudder. You know what's happening to the demons on Judgment Day? They're not going to be with Jesus. They are not in the kingdom of heaven. And there are people who believe. They say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, but I don't believe in you. Depart from me. I never knew you. So what's going on here? Because this is very, very serious. That's why I said I've been working on this for so long, because I want to have the right tone. I love to be chipper with you guys. I really do. You know, I, I, I think that uh, church should be fun. Coming to a gathering should be fun. We're celebrating Jesus. You know, it's not a funeral. It's a celebration that the tomb is empty. But on texts like this, I, I have to tell you the truth. I have to just say what Jesus says in these texts. A good preacher should be like a good doctor. A good doctor tells you the truth, even though it hurts. You go to a doctor and you have cancer. You don't want them to lie to you to make you feel better. You want them to tell you the truth. You have cancer. and If we don't do something, you're going to die. And I'm a bad preacher if I just stand up here and I skip what Jesus actually said. Because if the tomb is really empty, then he's the Lord of all. And what he says, we should take incredibly serious. And so I'm going to try to take this incredibly serious. And I think there's two types of beliefs. And I know there is as we play it out through the Gospel of John. And I'm going to show you those. There's two types of people who say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. One is a true belief and one is a false belief. One is the kind of belief that Jesus believes in. And one is the kind of belief that Jesus does not believe in. Uh, I'll put them in two categories. If you're taking notes, it's the category of seekers and it's the category of servants. Servants have true faith. Seekers have a false kind of faith in Jesus. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to look at this text. and We're going to look at the Gospel of John and we're going to explore these together. And I'm going to encourage you at the end of this to examine yourself. I have some questions that I'm going to walk through. And I actually have the questions up here after the sermon because I might not get through them all. Because I might be long-winded. I might not. We'll see. But if I don't, then you guys can come up here and get these and and take them home and examine yourself as the Apostle Paul tells us to do. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard message. This is one of those ones that uh, I would love to skip over. It's one of those ones that bothers me. And yet, Lord, you did not come to make me comfortable. (laughs) Uh, Lord, we we could even say that you came to afflict those who are comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And God, I get comfortable so often in my belief and and in what I think I know to be true. And I come to a text like this and you rattle my cage. But Lord, what we want to do is we want to live in truth. We don't want to live in fantasy. We don't want to live in the way that we feel. We want to live in truth because you say that the truth is what sets us free. It's only in you that we experience salvation, find peace, no purpose and live fulfilled. I want to live a fulfilled life. And the only way to do that is through seeking the truth that you provide. Jesus, because the tomb is empty, you have all authority. All authority. And that includes authority over me. That includes authority over this text. And that includes authority over everybody in this room. And that's a really hard thing for some of us to accept. Myself included. So Lord, I pray today that you would help us all examine ourselves. I pray today that anybody in here who has a false faith would repent of that and put true faith in you. And they see how good and beautiful you are. I pray for those of us who are Christians who maybe have gotten a little lazy in areas that we would see you for who you are. We would repent and we would follow after you, Jesus. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. 
All right, so type one, uh, we get a hint at this in John 2, 23. We, we kind of get to see why their belief isn't the kind of belief that Jesus believes in. The seekers, look at it again, verse 23. It says, while he, he being Jesus, was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when, the when is a key word there. In your Bible, whenever you see a connecting phrase like that, underline it, that's going to give you a hint as to what's going on in the text. And it says, when they saw the signs he was doing. They believed in him because he was a miracle worker and they needed a miracle. They believed in him because they were hungry and they thought this is the guy who could make bread rain down from the sky. Now I want to be very clear, the Bible is not against seekers. In fact, Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The question is, what are you seeking If you are seeking God, we made this place for you. It's why I planted a church for people who wanted to find out what God is. If you're not a Christian, if you don't follow Jesus, you're more than welcome to come here forever and hear the words of Jesus and seek it out. And I would say keep seeking it. If you're seeking God, you will find him. If you knock, he will answer. But some people come to Jesus because they're seeking something else and they think Jesus can get them what they really want. They're seeking something and they think this Jesus guy could maybe help me get what I want. And it doesn't really matter to you who does it. It just, you want it done. Jesus is a means to an end. What you really value is money, and you're hoping Jesus can help you with that. What you really value is health, and you're hoping Jesus can help you with that. And in reality, this is the kind of seeker that has no faith in Jesus actually at all and will not be sustained. Uh, We see this in John chapter 6. Jesus does a miracle. He makes heaven rain down uh, on, or makes heaven rain down, sorry. Makes bread rain down from heaven uh, on the people. And they're like, this is great, free bread. You know, I'm sure it was delicious bread. It was crusty on the outside, gooey on the inside. Like, this guy's awesome. And they come back to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, we're hungry. Can you make us some more bread? We like that trick you do where the bread comes down. And then Jesus says, "Uh, I'm the bread. You know, that bread you eat, you're just going to get hungry again. But actually, I'm the bread of life. What you need is not that bread. You need me. And they're like, okay, that's weird, Jesus. What are you? (laughs) We're not cannibals. You know, what are you talking about? We, we, we just want the bread that you have. And here's what Jesus says to them. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 26, 27. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, you came to me because you wanted something. I'm just a means to an end for you. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. You need me. I am the bread that will satisfy you for eternity. You seek after me, you will find all that you need. But you're not seeking after me, you're seeking after bread. And you're using me to get the bread. Now in America, we don't really get this reference because we have a lot of bread. In fact, if you were to go back to the Great Depression and tell our ancestors that one of the biggest problems our country would face is obesity, they would laugh. They'd be like, that's a problem? You have too much food? You need to cut back on what you're eating? For all of human civilization, though, most people live day to day, not just on their money, but on their bread. So what Jesus is doing here is it's something very important. And I do want to point out that Jesus does fill them. He does give them what they need. And Jesus will fulfill some of your needs. It's true that I believe that life is better with Jesus and you're better at life with Jesus. You follow what Jesus says, your life will go better in most cases. But that is not why we should follow Jesus. Now, in our culture, modern day bread, I just wrote down a few reasons why people might come to Jesus is because their marriage is failing. 
And what they really want is they want somebody to save their marriage. And so they come to the church. They come to hear about Jesus because maybe this guy will line out my husband. You know, maybe this guy will make my wife see how wrong she is and she'll come back to me and it'll make our marriage better. And he will make your marriage better, friends, but that's not the reason to come to him. Or for some of you, it's problem kids. You know, your kids get to a certain age and they start talking back to you and you're like, you know what, they need Jesus. I'll just take them to the church and the church can make them better kids. And I believe if you raise your kids in the church, they'll be better for it. But that's not the reason to come to Jesus, friends. Or money. Now, you don't get that here uh, so much, but there are some uh, churches, there are some preachers who will tell you what you want to hear, and they'll tell you that God is like a vending machine, and the more that you give, the more that you receive back. And I'll let you know that the people who are giving aren't flying in private jets. It's the megachurch pastors on TV who are flying in the private jets. So stop giving them money, guys, because that's not how it works. But some people come to Jesus because they want their finances to be better. Or health, this is a huge one. You get a bad diagnosis at the doctor and all of a sudden you start praying. And that's good. I believe God heals. Jesus heals. He absolutely does. But are you coming to Jesus because you want Jesus? Or are you coming to Jesus because you're scared of a health diagnosis and you want the health diagnosis to go away? Are you coming for the bread or are you coming for the provider of the bread? I told you guys a few weeks ago, we're often like dogs. My dog is so dumb. I love her to death, but man, she's got like three brain cells. And... Anytime I try to point at something, like, hey, there's a tennis ball I want you to pick up. There's a bone. There's a treat. She doesn't look where I'm pointing. She looks at my finger. I'm like, no, i got to turn her head so she sees what is supposed to be there. And this is what so many of us do. Jesus provides these signs for us. He provides this bread for us so that we'll love the giver of the gift, not the gift itself. And we get so enamored with the finger that is pointing that we forget and we begin to worship the gifts. And so when life falls apart, When we don't have money, when we get a bad diagnosis, we say, God's not good. Why? Because we didn't care about God. We cared about what God could give us. And when He wasn't giving it to us anymore, we didn't believe in Him anymore. This is the first type of faith. It's the faith of seekers. Now, this this is really kind of like a little kid who's nice to you. It's it's an immature way of relating to God. And you guys, if you have toddlers, uh, teenagers even, (laughs) uh, oftentimes they'll be really nice to you when they want something. I mean, I remember as a kid thinking, oh, I want to go to my friend's house. And so I would go overboard on loving my mom and dad. You know, I'd do the dishwasher. I'd clean the garage. Mom, I love you so much. I just, have I told you, you're just so beautiful. And, uh, you know, my parents would call it out immediately. What do you want, Blake? You know, <laughs> you're not fooling anybody. It's clear when you're being this nice to us that you either A, did something wrong, or B, you want something. Well, some of us treat God this way, do we not? I don't pray, I don't pray, I don't pray. I'm in a mess. Oh my gosh, God, help me. You know, I love how they say there's no atheist on an airplane when the thing's going down. You know, you hit turbulence and the, the, the most staunch atheist among us will go, oh, God, help us. You know, you begin to pray in those times of need. This is the immature faith that seekers have. Now, the second type of faith, and this is the true faith, type two is the type of servants. And I picked this up actually in John's chapter. Uh, we preach all the way through chapter two. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast to catch up uh, if you haven't been here. It's free, and some people say you get what you pay for. Uh, But uh, in the the beginning of the chapter, we saw as Jesus takes water and he turns it to wine, he's showing us something about his ministry, he's showing us something about who he is. He's revealing himself. And what Mary, his mother, says about him is actually the same thing that his father says about him when he does this miracle. I want to remind you of it, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. 
When Mary sees him revealed, this is what she says. Do whatever he tells you. His mother told the servants. And in this parable, we are to be the servants. Do whatever he tells you. This is the same thing that his father says when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. When his glory is revealed, Moses and Elijah show up. God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He didn't come to listen to you to do what you want. He came, he revealed himself, and what you ought to do is listen to him. And then we see what we're supposed to do. Verse 6, it says, Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said, Now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And we already know what the end of that story is. That water turned into wine. But friends, you know how foolish this would have seemed to the servants at the time. Why are we doing this? Why are we pulling bathwater out expecting wine? This is silly. It doesn't make sense. And a lot of following Jesus will feel like that if you truly follow him. And yet you notice they don't ask any questions. They just begin to obey. This is what Jesus has called them to do. And we are to be servants. Now, I'm going to probably offend a lot of people right here, which is fine. I haven't done it in a while, so... I need to make you guys mad a little bit, uh, but it's really not me. It's Jesus. And I'm going to say this, that, that there is actually not two types of faith where there's like the immature Christians and then there's the real Christians. This is the only type of faith that there is. Amen. The type of faith where we serve Jesus with everything we have. I remember I had a friend uh, who was all in for Jesus, still is as far as I know. And uh, he was talking to this girl. We were about in ninth grade, 10th grade. And uh, they were talking and about to start dating. And he said that he was going to save himself for marriage because he believed in Jesus. And uh, the girl messaged back. She said, oh, well, I believe in Jesus too. But you're one of those Jesus freaks. <laughs> like you take this stuff serious. And there's really a culture that we have in America where we think that that, that is okay. Like there's these four different types of believers. You know, you got the immature believers. They believe in Jesus. You know, they're never going to gather with the church or do anything for Jesus. But, you know, they'll post on Facebook every once in a grand while and let you know they follow Jesus. You know, like the share, you're going to hell kind of things. Uh, which, stop sharing those. Uh, it's not, God's not looking at you down like, oh, I didn't share on Facebook. You're going to hell. You know, it's not how it works. Uh, but, you know, so you got those kind of category of people and then you've got the people who actually go to church and they're a part of it and you know they're, they're kind of more mature than everybody else and then you've got the real Jesus freaks the guys who go into ministry and preach like I do and they actually try to make disciples well Jesus actually only lays out one category and again these are not my words these are Jesus' words let me just show you a few verses John eight thirty one. then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him if you continue in my word you are really my disciples What's the inference there? If you do not listen to my word, you are not a disciple. John 10, 26 through 27. But you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and look at what they do. They follow me. John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Do you notice the difference? Who's the servants? Is it us or is it him? It's us. John 14, 15. If you love me, I love Jesus so much. I, just, I get chills when we have worship services. You know, I just love Jesus. Okay, Jesus says, if you love me, here's what you'll do. You will keep my commands. If I haven't convinced you, I got one more. Uh, the Bible's full of them. I'd encourage you to read the New Testament yourself. Don't listen to what somebody else says about Jesus. Look at what Jesus says about Jesus. But here's 1 John 
chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, John puts it pretty clear for us. He says, this is how we know that we know him. You say you know God? Here's how you know. If we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. John, that hurts my feelings. Verse 5, but whoever, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. In case it wasn't clear already, John says, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now, these are the kinds of messages that people get mad at the pastor for. Uh, But getting mad at me over this message would be like getting mad at your mailman for bringing a bill. I'm just delivering the news to you. That's why I'm reading so many verses. I don't want you to think I made this terrifying message up because I didn't. This is the words of Jesus, the words of the New Testament. So if you don't like it, send Jesus an email. That was a joke. It's okay. It's post-Easter. Now, I want to give us kind of three things, or two things, really, that I need to say as we come out of that. uh, Because you can hear me so wrong in this, and this is why it's so dangerous to say it this way. Uh, You know, the the gospel is supposed to comfort those who need comforted and it's supposed to afflict those who are comfortable. And what often happens is the opposite. The person who really needs to hear this message will come up to me and say, "Woo, I'm so grateful for God's grace, you know, and the person who really needed God's grace will come to me and they'll say, oh, my gosh, I need to do more work. And it's like, oh, no, that's not how I want it to do. So I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will work in your hearts. But let me give you a little bit of grace with this because there is grace. When I say these things, I am not speaking about your perfect practices. This is about a posture towards Jesus. So it's not like if you don't obey every command of Jesus, you're not in the kingdom of God. Because, newsflash, all of us fail on that. You hear what John said? He said, walk as Jesus walked. Is anybody here walking exactly as Jesus walked? Great. None of you guys have to go to the mental institution. Right? Like None of us are there. But it's about a posture. Do you want... Do you desire to walk as Jesus walked? Do you desire to know Him better and to submit to Him and to serve Him? Or are you kind of comfortable with living the way that you're already living? It's not about practice, it's about posture. And number two, it's not about perfection, it's about progress. None of you guys will ever be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. And I believe even throughout all of eternity, we will constantly be learning more about God, constantly learning more about Jesus because He is an inexhaustible well. But there should be progress. There's nowhere in the New Testament where I can find this example of where people raised their hand when they were 14 years old at a church camp or they walked down an altar and then they lived the rest of their life with no regard to Jesus to be called a saved or a Christian or a born again person of any type in the New Testament. There should be progress. And in our Christian life, we have backtracking and we go forward. Often my Christian journey feels like three steps backward, two steps forward, four back, six forward. I have these seasons where it's up and down. It's not this beautiful arc towards Christ's likeness. So that's my wife. <laughs> like I struggle with these things. But the question is, is are you the same person you were the day you believed in Jesus or are you more like Jesus now? Because if you call yourself a Christian and you've been a Christian for 30 years and you look identical to the person you were, if your anger has not changed, if your lust has not changed, if your envy has not changed, if your gossip patterns have not changed at all, then I would say you have no reason to believe that you actually believe in Jesus. Or you have the type of belief anyways that Jesus would believe in you. Progress, not perfection. Now, we're going to move into the question portion. And again, I'll have these up here. But I want you to be honest with yourself because you can't hide from Jesus. Did you see the end of the verse there? Verses 24 and 25. 
Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Some people say, Blake, you can't judge me. And you're right. I can't. I cannot ultimately judge you. And that should scare you. (laughs) Because you know what you could do if I was your judge? You could fake it. You could be here every Sunday. You could be, you know, given money. You could be reading your Bible and doing it all with the wrong posture because you thought you earned something. You deserve something. And I wouldn't know it. But you know who would know it? Jesus. He knows those who are seeking Him so that they might serve Him because they love Him and they see Him as the the center of all life. And He knows those who are simply not going to do that and they're actually servants of Jesus. He knows those who actually love Him and actually serve Him. So we need to be honest with ourselves, not because, you know, I'm trying to make you feel a certain way. I have no idea what's going on in your heart. I have no idea. And you have no idea what's going on in my heart. But I want you to examine yourself because the Apostle Paul tells us to. God knows our hearts. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourself. Examine yourselves. Or do you not yourselves recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? Jerry Bridges, one of my favorite authors, says this. The question each of us should honestly face is this. Do I have some evidence that I am a new creation? Can we say something such as this? Yes, I still struggle with remaining sin, and I see my frequent failures. But as I look at these questions, I can truthfully say that though I have a long way to go, I believe that I am headed in the right direction. Friends, it's important that we're honest with ourselves. And you can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. It doesn't mean you are that thing. You can put your head in the oven and call yourself a biscuit. It doesn't mean you're a biscuit. You can call yourself a Christian, but it doesn't mean you are one. So we've got to make this practical and examine ourselves. So I've got seven questions because seven is a biblical number. I just made them up. Uh, They're questions to help you examine. And what I want to do in these questions is is compare and contrast what a seeker would answer this question and what a servant might answer this question. And I'm about 25 minutes in, so I'm going to give myself seven minutes. You double that for the pastor time. About 14 minutes. Wherever I get uh, towards the end of this uh, is, is where I'll stop. And again, I'll encourage you to come get these questions. So question number one, be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. Is how do you view the word of God? How do you view the scriptures? Here's how a seeker might view the scriptures. I search through it when I need a solution to a problem. I skip the confusing and boring parts. If I find a verse that seems to say something I disagree with, I just shrug it off. If it really bothers me, I'll just find a teacher who agrees with what I already thought to be true. I'm not picking up my Bible unless I need to know something. And I'm going to search through it until I find what I want to know about that topic. And if it doesn't make sense to me, I just skip it. Leviticus, I'm not reading Leviticus, that's ridiculous. You know? <laughs> what has this got to do with anything? It's confusing, it's boring, I'm going to skip it. And if the Bible says something I don't like, something I disagree with, something culture disagrees with, I'll just you know, shrug it off. And if people really bother me about it, then I'll go find a teacher who says what I want to hear. And friends, you will always find a teacher who says what you want to hear. You will always find one. It's always been that way. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament church, he said there are preachers who just want to tickle your ears. Which I love that picture. That's such a, isn't that a funny picture? And we read the Bible so much, we don't see the humor in it. But he said, they just want to tickle you. They want to make you feel good. And you'll find somebody to do that. But if you are searching Jesus, you view the Bible differently. Here's how servants view the Bible. I read it often because I want to know who God is and what He wants for my life. I spend extra time 
on the confusing and boring parts because I truly want to understand what God is saying. If there is a part I disagree with, I repent and begin to live in accordance with God's will. I seek out help from those who have studied more than me. I'm not trying to have my opinion confirmed. I am searching for the truth. See, if we view God as our Father, then, and this is His Word to us, then why wouldn't we want to get to know Him better? Why wouldn't we want to get to know Jesus better? And when you love somebody, you don't just ignore the boring and confusing parts of what they say. Otherwise, nobody would be married. <laughs> you know, like I love Taylor. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got in, in marriage was early on. I had a pastor tell me, you know, sometimes your wife's going to say things you don't care at all about. Uh, and I, I love my wife, but she, he was right, you know, sometimes. And I often say things she has no cares about. Uh, but he said, what you've got to understand is that's actually an opportunity for connection. The reason why you listen, the reason why you ask questions is because you're learning something about her. By being interested in what they're interested in, you learn more about them. And it's an act of love. It's an act of connection. And that's why if you don't listen to your wife, you don't listen to your husband, you don't care about their interests at all, you blow them off all the time, what happens is the relationship shrivels. And this is why there's no friendship in some marriages. It's the saddest thing ever to see two people out on a date night, they don't have their kids, and they're both on their phones because they don't have anything to say to one another. Well, some of the reasons why you guys don't have anything to say to God is because you haven't got to know Him. You just skip over the boring and confusing parts. You know, uh, in Jesus' time in rabbinical school, when the young Jewish boys would come to school, on the first day what they would do is they would take honey. And honey was like this super expensive thing. So most of these kids had never seen honey, never tasted honey. And what they would do is they would take these tablets, uh, God's Word on tablets, and they would pour honey all over the tablets. And they would let the little boys lick all of the honey off of the tablets. It was a mess. And you can imagine little boys love that. And then the rabbi would say something along the lines of, Just as that honey is sweet to your lips, so should the Word of God be to you. Friends, do you view the Word of God that way? Because it will change the way that you see it. Servants want to know more about God, and that's His Word, so we look to it. Number two is, how do you view the church? How do you view what we're doing here in the local church? Seekers would say, the church is for me and should do what I want. I'm a consumer. You know, Blake, why don't we have this program or that program? Blake, did you notice this problem or that problem? Blake, you weren't that funny. You scared me a little bit this Sunday. I'm not coming back. Or they don't sing hymns. Or they don't sing enough modern music. Or they don't. I mean, the complaints are all over the place. And what are we saying when we're saying that? I'm a consumer and you should satisfy me. What does a servant say? A servant says, the church is Christ's church. It's not mine. If I see a need, I seek to fill it. I'm a contributor. Here's something I want you all to notice. If you see a need, and there are plenty of them, the reason why God let you see it, because He wants you to fill it. (laughs) And I mean that because the church is not a cruise ship where we come to just enjoy ourselves. The church is a battleship. We're in a real spiritual war. We don't have time for you to sit in your room waiting for somebody to rub your feet. We need you out on the battle deck doing your part to make this thing work. You view it as a seeker or as a servant. Number three, this one gets me, is what are your prayers like? What are your prayers like? Seekers would say, my prayers are few and far between, and I'm mainly asking for things I want or need, and after I have already made a decision. Now, I think it's funny. One of the things that makes people pray more than anything else is finances. And amen, I've been there. When that bank account starts getting low, you start getting a little terrified, don't you? And what I love is people who 
never pray over a single financial decision before they make it. But then they're mad at God for the financial mess that they're in. It's like you can pray for God to save you from this mess, but you know it might have been helpful if you prayed beforehand and you tried to do things the way he said to do things. Now, it reminds me of my, my own dad. I remember one time I was in high school, 17 years old. I knew everything. I told somebody before the service, I never knew more than when I was 15 years old. I mean, I thought I had the world absolutely figured out. My dad was riding with me, and uh, my gas tank was out on E. And, uh, you know, he said, Blake, I think you need to stop and get gas. And I said, no, it's fine. You know, I can go on E for 100 miles. And he said, no, I really think you, you, need, to, you need to get gas. And I said, no, Dad, I'm fine. And I go home, and I drop him off, and I'm in my room playing PlayStation. And my dad comes in, and, you know, he, at first he was kind of nice dad, and then he was stern dad. And uh, he came in and gave me that look that only dads can give you. And, and he said, Blake, go get gas. And so I threw a huge fit. I said, well, fine. You know, throw down my PlayStation remote. I go and I get in my truck and I'm driving to the gas station. And wouldn't you know, about two miles away from the gas station, I run out of gas. You guys know the worst phone call I had to make was to call my dad. Hey, dad, I ran out of gas. And uh, he had to go get the gas tank and bring it to me. This is how so many of us treat God. We don't pray. We don't care about his will for our life until we're out of gas. And we made a mistake. See, for the... The one who is serving God, your prayers look much different. You pray frequently because you love Jesus and you want to know him. And just like you talk to your wife or your spouse frequently, you talk to Jesus frequently. And they're mainly asking God what he wants of me before I make a decision. I'm coming and I'm saying, God, what do you want me to spend my money on? And this is why I say I was convicted because you know how many decisions I made this past week? I can't even count them, but we all make so many of them. And I couldn't think of more than five decisions I made before I prayed. So often I just do things. I don't stop to ask before I go into a conversation with somebody, God, what do you want me to say in this conversation? And you know, sometimes people will come to me with ideas for the church or I'll come up with ideas for the church. And it might be what I want to do. It might be what you want to do. But how often do we stop and say, God, what do you want us to do? We ask for your wisdom on this. Number four uh, is if you give, why do you give? And seekers say something like, I'd give if God gave me more. You know, I can't give. I'd love to give, Blake, but I've got to pay my bills and do what I want to do before I can give because it's my money. And so when I have a little extra, I'll give God a tip here and there. I give when I see a need that I feel deserves it, and I give to get something from God or others. This is a big one. When you give because you think you're earning favor with God, God, I gave you all that money. Why didn't you help me? Or, you know, I, I gave money and so now I should have some sort of authority in the church and they should look at me because I have written big checks to this place. Well, who's in control of your money when you're doing that? You are. You, you're using your money to get what you want. Servants look at it differently. We say all that I have is God's. 100% of it is His. So what He wants me to do, I'm going to do my money the way He says to do it. And we give as an act of obedience because Jesus said to. We give in grateful worship. I love what the Apostle Paul says. He says we should be hilarious givers. It's like a crazy person. You know, here's all my money. (laughs) How many of us give that way? I certainly don't. You know, oftentimes, here's here's my money. But Paul says, don't be a compulsive giver. If you're giving that way, keep it. We don't want it. It should be Jesus has given me so much. How could I possibly thank him? Here, have everything, Jesus. Have it all. And we give so that the gospel can go. Is that why you give? Are you a seeker or a servant? Now I'm going to skip one and we'll go to the number six, which is when was the last time you submitted to God, even though you didn't understand it? 
Here's another one that got me. When's the last time you did something that God said to do, even though you did not understand it yourself? Seekers would say, never. I do what makes sense to me. This is how the majority of us live. Now, I could convince you if I use good language and I change your mind, then you'll do it. But who's in charge of that? You are. Submission is not submitting when you only do what you like. That's not submitting. That's just doing what you want. This is a big thing for kids to learn. Uh, You are to submit to your parents, which means sometimes your parents make no sense. And it makes no sense to you why they would want you to do it. But you know what submission is? Is I do what they say, even when I don't understand it. So when you ask your mom, mom, why do I have to do that? And she says, because I'm mom. That's an acceptable answer. It's a frustrating answer, but it's an acceptable answer. We submit because of the authority they have over us. Or we just had that terrible day, tax day. Um, And if you didn't know that, I'm sorry. (laughs) IRS is going to be calling you soon. But on tax day, I submit to the United States government. I don't know anybody who's like super pumped about paying taxes. Here's all my money. But because they have authority over us, what do we do? We submit. Now with God, do you ever do this? Do you ever read something or hear something out of God's word that you don't understand, but you do it anyways because God said to do it? This is what servants say. And on this one, I put servants can have specific examples. And I want you to think in your own life. When is the last time or right now? What are you doing that submits to God? You know, it doesn't line up with my political beliefs, but this is what God says. So I'm going to submit. It didn't line up with what I want to do with my life, but I I believe this is what God is saying, so I'm going to submit in this season. Do do you have that in your life, friends? Because a servant of Jesus will have that kind of fruit. Now, Zach, if you guys want to go ahead and come up, uh, I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment. But I, I want you to know that the reason why we speak of this, the only reason why I'm even saying these things is because we believe that the tomb is empty. We believe that Jesus is risen. And if He is risen, then He is risen to the place of authority. And Jesus does not share authority with you. You don't get to be halfway on the throne with Jesus. You don't get to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus tells you what to do. And the reason why is because He is good. And we see that in His resurrection. In fact, I mentioned uh, James uh, at the beginning of this. Jesus' little brother. Jesus' little brother did not believe in Jesus before Jesus died and rose again. In fact, we see in the Gospels, his siblings come to get him. They're like, Jesus, stop doing this weird God stuff. It doesn't make sense to us. Which you can't really blame James, because how many of you would worship your brother or sister? (laughs) Like, there's nothing my brother could do to make me think that he was God. Nothing. A water to wine trick? Wouldn't work. Especially the sinless part. And like, I've seen you. So what would make James go from an atheist in Jesus to to a God-fearing, Jesus-fearing Christian? One who would actually die for his brother. They said, stop calling your brother God. And he said, kill me then. What would make him go from atheist to full believer in Jesus? He saw the empty tomb. And in the empty tomb, his brother was no longer his brother. His brother was his Lord. And so, friends, today, what I'm asking you to do is not to willpower your way to change these things in your life. What I'm asking you to do is look to Jesus, see how beautiful and glorious He is, and then what will happen is you'll naturally want to follow Him. I can't make you want what I want as much as I want to. I can preach for as long as I wanted, and you wouldn't love the things that I love. You know, I, I can't change that you guys, some of you love the Oklahoma Sooners, even though I think it's stupid. I do. I would love for you to love the Pokes. It doesn't matter how much I preach on it. I can't change it. I love Jesus and I want you to love Jesus, but I can't change it. You've got to see Him for yourself. If you would, uh, close your eyes and bow your heads. 
Father, as we come into this time of prayer here in just a moment, I'm going to give your people time to ask what you're saying to them through this message. Lord, I pray that they would examine themselves carefully. The words you say here are painfully clear. So Lord, for those in this room who maybe thought that they believed in you, they had some sort of belief, but they're now realizing the belief they had isn't the kind of belief that you believe in. I pray that today would be the day they repent and they get baptized and they follow after you because you're their Savior. And Lord, for those who do have true faith in you and we're serving Jesus the best we can, but sometimes it feels like we take more steps backward than we do forward. I pray that you would comfort us with your spirit, that we would know that you love us and the reason why you want us to walk forward is because of the goodness you have for us. I pray that this message would not be condemning to those who need to be lifted up by your grace. And I pray that this message would not be easy for those who need to follow you. If you would, friends, take 20 seconds to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? With eyes closed, head bowed, Uh, just so that I can pray for you. If you would say, Blake, honestly, I'm living more like a seeker and I want to live more like a servant, would you just raise your hand for me right now? Father, thank you. Thank you for the honesty of these people. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the courage to obey what you've called them to do. Pray that they wouldn't leave this place unchanged. But God, that this would be the message that they needed so that they might live for you in all of life, all of Christ for all of life. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing to this Savior. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.